Uh, yeah, come on, give it up for Gabe. We're glad to have you back. Andrew's taking a uh, four-month stint over at, uh, he's running an off-site thing for Amazon because they, they need backup warehouses at the Christmas season. So he's running an extra warehouse that just supports the larger warehouses because I have to have boxes come to my house every other day. So uh, it's all my fault. And so we'll get Andrew back uh, in, in a few months. And so Amazon has absorbed him for now. But I love it when these guys come back. It's awesome. I want to open up with a clip. Uh, from one of my favorite uh, TV series. Any Freaks and Geeks fans out there? Anybody at all? Okay. You need to watch this series because it's a great, it was two seasons and then it became like a cult classic. Great coming of age stuff. If you think back to the Wonder Years, it's kind of that except in a different time frame. And uh, so anyways, got a two minute clip for you. There you go. I'm gonna take a show. who finally decided to take a shower. A nice pecs where you look like a flat-chested girl. Flat-chested <laughs> girl. Well, I'm proud of my body. Oh, he's proud of his body. He should be proud. Look at this. Maybe you should show it to everybody. Is that what are you doing? Come on, guys, guys, come on. Guys. I wouldn't have missed Experiences and uh, this poor, poor little Sam Weir gets left uh, left out in the hallway and uh, has maybe the most tragic of moments and that a, a young boy possibly could. And um, thought you guys would like that. I was trying to think of with this uh, with this topic being fear of intimacy, and um, I, I couldn't think of anything worse than that. And so you guys got a video clip instead of one of my own stories. Our core verse for this series is Second Timothy one seven. And uh, I can only hear it in my head the one way I learned it, and that is for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of love, power, and, and a sound mind. In the New Living Translation that we use here, it says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. 
And so we're in this series called Face Your Fears, and that's because fear has us locked up in different ways. And fear keeps us from living out our lives and all that God has called us to. And so it keeps us from a relationship with Him, and it keeps us from relationships with other people, and it can keep us, it can keep the gospel inside of us. Because if we don't, if we're not connected and we're not comfortable with who we are and we're not comfortable with other people and we don't feel safe in different different situations we will hold back and so that's our natural tendency and so we've been moving through a few week one was the fear of rejection and i used the uh, illustration that that people tend to be free hugs or they tend to be stiff arms remember that and so somebody who is uh, afraid of rejection they want every they will they will take affection from anybody and uh these people are crazy and uh they they, they want to be loved and so badly so desperately that they are constantly reaching out for anything from anybody and then the other side of the spectrum is the stiff arm saw a little bit of that yesterday on tv on football games and uh the stiff arm is i've been hurt I don't want to get hurt again. You're not getting close to me, right? And so part of our story, part of my story, part of yours and the people we know is you will see people gravitate to one or those roles as they deal with the fear of rejection. Week two, uh, we talked about the fear of failure. Wow. And what we have there, we said there, we tend to go two different directions there that either we freeze up we said you're either frozen or you're in a frenzy. So if you're frozen, you're so afraid of, of disappointing people or failing that you don't even move, you don't even try. I would rather not risk because then I don't have to fail, right? The other end of that thing is a frenzy. And that's, I'm so determined to not fail that I'm going to make sure and micromanage everything in my life from my relationships to the people that work with me and for me. Any, anybody that will let me and anything that will let me, I will micromanage and try to keep those plates spinning to the point of exhaustion and burnout just to make sure that nothing falls through the cracks. And if you're married to that person, that's, sorry, that's, that's not fun. I can be that person. I, I, I try to keep so many things going and I don't want them to fail. I don't want to let people down. And so if I am not careful, I will exhaust myself without getting help in something just to keep something going beyond my own capacity. Does that sound familiar? It should because this is real life. Uh, we're going to talk about intimacy today and next week, kind of similar to that, uh, is a failure of losing control. Intimacy. We'll start off with just a truth. We've all been hurt. And the pain is real. Job says this in 19, uh, Job 19.19. 19. He says, all of my intimate friends detest me. Those I love have turned against me. Wow. There is nothing more painful, I believe, in this life. I would rather have a limb chopped off than somebody close to me betraying me or choosing not to love me. Does that sound like a fair statement? 
Have you been there? Have you been there? I'm going to do a whole message series on lying if you guys don't fess up. Have you been there? Yes, we've all been there. All of my intimate friends detest me. Those I love have turned against me. So let's start with this. And because I think this is lost in our culture today. What is intimacy and how did we lose it and how do we lose it? For this, we have to go to the beginning, which means we're going to go to the book of Genesis, which literally means the beginning. So go with me if you want to. I'm going to be reading a couple things from Genesis 2 and Genesis 3. And just listen if, if you, if you uh, want to. I read this passage at just about every wedding I do because I just, I love the, I love the purpose in it because it shows our need for each other. And especially when a couple is coming uh, to the altar of the Lord, if, if they're asking me to do their wedding, that means they want Jesus to be a part of their marriage. And so I, I take that seriously. And so they're coming forward saying, our lives are gonna be better if we commit to each other and to God in a covenant called marriage. And, and, and this explains why that is very true. Uh, Genesis 2, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all of the animals, but there was still no helper just right for him. Verse 21. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. And here's the key verse out of this passage. Now the man and his wife were both naked but they felt no shame. What is intimacy? Intimacy isn't just exposure. Intimacy is a connection with nothing else between two people. And so this says that there was no shame and nothing in between a husband and a wife. And those of you that have been married or are married or in a close relationship, you know that life is best when there is little to nothing going on that's distracting between you guys as a couple. And anytime something comes between, and it can be good things, it can be work, it can be children, it can be miserable things like bills, it can be hard things like a lost job or an illness or something like that. But the more stuff that gets crammed in between those two people, what do you have to do to keep that relationship healthy? That's where the strain is, right? And then you're thinking, why did I have kids? No, I'm just, uh, why? <laughs> Why do we need to work? You know, let's just uh, let's just get in a bus. You know, let's just get get a car and drive west and hope the chips fall. You know, I just 
I, I can think of those times where, where life would get so crazy and I would, I would feel like I'm trying to see Danielle through a haze and be like, I just want the two of us to be on an island with nobody else, right? That's what intimacy is. Intimacy is that pure relationship between you and someone else, and, and more importantly, between you and God. And so how do we lose intimacy? Well, I just rattled off a few things. Well, what comes between us and God? Well, there's more to this story. Um, another name for this message today could be Paradise Lost. And so I want to read to you from the beginning of Genesis chapter 3. Sometimes you've got to go to the beginning of things to, to and then bring it relevant to today and see why things are out of, out of line. It says in Genesis 3 that the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals. And I don't like snakes. They are also the creepiest. The Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, talking snake, even better. Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. In the garden, the woman replied. It's only the, tree from the, uh, the fruit from the tree in the middle that we are not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or touch it. If you do, you will die. Verse 4. You will not die. The serpent replied to the woman, God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. It says in verse 6 that the woman was convinced. The woman looked beautiful. She ate it. And then, uh, like a good husband, he did what he was told and ate it too. <laughs> At that moment, get this, verse 7. At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness so they showed fig they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves what is intimacy and how do we lose it we lose intimacy when we when we stop trusting the other person and so satan was able to get into eve's head and put this little seed of distrust and all it was this, was that God is holding out on you. You have this great life, but there's something missing. And this lie comes in of, oh, I, I, I don't have something that I should have. I don't even know what it is. Like, I, it sounds intriguing just because I don't know what it is. And so God is holding out on me, then I need to have it. Well, how many times have we made decisions outside of God's will because we think God really doesn't have our best at his heart? And so we choose something that is knowingly against what God has for us because we think, ah, it's, antiqu it's, it's antiquated. This, this is thousands of years old and you know things have changed and he is a little outdated and you know he just doesn't he's he's keeping something better from me he's holding me back and this happens in our personal relationship too because i can danielle and i could be in the middle of a storm either financially or let's say we can go back in time 13 to 20 years when our kids were coming and we have these newborn creatures that all of a sudden are consuming all of our attention and money 
That doesn't stop. <laughs> but even in those storms where lots of things were going on, her and I are okay as long as we trust each other. <laughs> right? But what happens when you don't have the time with each other is all of a sudden you start to misjudge some of the things the other person does. And you're like, I don't think they have my best as a goal in their life. I, I think they did that for them and not for me. Right? You start to believe something outside is, is true instead of what you've said to each other is true. Does that make sense? And so then you start to think less. As soon as you start to think ill intent from another person, you have a divide between you and that person. And until it is dealt with, it's not going anywhere. And then those hurts stack up. And oftentimes, especially between two people that have good intent to each other, there's really no substance to any of those offenses. Nothing that anybody woke up that day and said, I'm going to do this to make your life miserable. I've been accused of such things. No, She's pretty nice to me. But you see where we get into trouble? And so this happened between Eve and God. And so this is the basic story. This is the human condition. The human condition is intimacy existed and then intimacy was lost. Okay? Are you guys with me? Yes. All right. And I can't tell if you're quiet, if you're just really like, oh my gosh, this is good stuff. Or if you're thinking about the football games coming on. I don't know. So I need some feedback. <laughs> Paradise lost. Well, what happens when intimacy is something that is lost in our lives? It means that we have a fear of it with other people at that point. And so it, we learn to distrust and we learn to trust, right? And so it's no... Uh, it shouldn't be a coincidence or it shouldn't be hard to understand that if somebody grows up with parents that are divorced and estranged, that they're a little slow to want to get married themselves. Right? That hurt me. I don't want something like that to hurt me again. So I'm going to stay safe. Right? We, we do this all. We do this over and over again. It only takes so many moments, like poor Sam Weir in the hallway of his junior high school, to shut down. And so that whole thing was based on, the, the whole episode was him not wanting to take a shower at gym class. And his mom, of course, her wisdom was, you have a beautiful body, you should be proud of it. Well, that's what mom's going to say, right? Well, what are the other guys going to say? You're an idiot, right? And so he takes this step, I'm going to go take a shower, and then he gets thrown out in the hallway. When you are consistently betrayed and hurt by other people, you will shut down. And if you have a fear of intimacy, we tend to be these two things, distant and defensive. Distant and defensive. Genesis 3, 9 to 10 says this. It says that in the cool of the evening, remember we said, well, what is intimacy? Let me tell you what intimacy is. Again.
when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. Before sin came in and separated their hearts from God, this was normal for them to hang out in the Garden of Eden with God. And this says that God came into the garden and was looking for them. Well, I spend way too much of my life looking for things. I lose my keys, my phone, and my wallet on a regular basis in my own home. I have a major, major problem with this. Uh, Danielle tries to help me by laughing at me um, and telling me I need to go on medication. But I just pray for God to heal me, and, and, and so hopefully I'm getting better. But I, if I'm looking for something, it means something is hidden from me. And sometimes it can be right in front of me. I am a man. I can man look in the refrigerator and where is this? Oh, the thing that's right in front of you. That happened this morning actually with another instance. If I'm looking for something though, it means that it's not readily available to me. And so one of the symptoms of a fear of intimacy is that you distance yourself from God and from others. They hid, the Lord God called to the man, where are you? In verse 10, Adam replied, he said, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. And yet this is the same jaybird that was, ever since God had created him, hadn't had clothes on. And how much time had God spent with him? up until this point. So what changed? Did God change? God still came to have that close relationship, but now all of a sudden there's something inside Adam's heart and soul that says, I, I can't be around you in this condition. Wow. So this brings up our first question today. What are you hiding behind? What are you hiding behind? Because you can use anything. Uh, we're quite clever about this. We can use work. Uh, we can use our schedule. We can use um, our other positions that we have in life. I can use the fact that I'm a pastor and say, well, I'm pretty much too busy to, I, I really don't have time. You know, we can all use that with our different work. Um, we can do that as a parent. Uh, we can do it, um, well, I just need a little me time right now. Uh, Try that too many times. You, you, you'll have, you will drive people away from you and you, and, and sometimes we don't even know we're doing this. But think about the last time you were asked to do something, the last time you were asked to go somewhere or invited out to something. What was your response? And if you're at a place where you don't feel like people want you around or you don't get asked to do anything, Maybe do some detective work and go back in time and say, what's, what's going on here? Why do people either think that I don't want to be around them, or what have I said or done to push people away? And we'll find ourselves, if we look back and we do some honest 
uh, a work from, from other people's perspective, you might have to ask some people you do trust, say, am I pushing people away? What am I hiding behind? And I don't think we open ourselves up to everybody, but there, there has to be layers of people in your life, and there has to be some people, a few people, at the very least, that are close enough to you to really know you for who you are. Right? First question today, what are you hiding behind? So not only do you get distant, but then guess what we do? We get defensive. Now I got three kids, man. They've never been wrong. I mean, never. The first time I've never come at one of my kids and said, this is wrong. And the first thing out of the mouth goes, oh, gosh, Dad, I'm so glad you pointed that out. <laughs> I knew something wasn't right. No, what do you get the first when you bring something up to, to, to somebody, especially your kids? Here's the, here are the 10 reasons of why it's not my fault. Right? Okay. My poor kids. Let's go to Genesis 3, just verses 12 and 13, and I can just, I'll just give you the Adam version of this. Eve blames the snake, and, and, and Adam blames Eve. They made me do it. I, I was minding, you know, I was, I was having a great day, God. I mean, I was ready to talk to you tonight, and, you know, we were going to, you know hang out, and then this woman, she, she, she made me eat it. You should have given me a better woman. That's what we do, right? We shift and dodge and say, ah, over here, over here, which leads us to the next question. So we have, what are you hiding behind? Number two, what are you blaming? What are you blaming? If there is a lack of intimacy in your life between you and God, between you and other people, you will not be able to move forward into either of those areas until you take responsibility for you in the middle of it. Now, as I opened up with, I've been hurt by other people. Absolutely. And I'm pretty sure that other people are going to hurt me in the future as long as I'm living in the same zip code as at least one other person, right? So I can either park myself, which I've thought of, all by myself in the middle of the woods, or as long as I stay with people, that people will hurt you. That's, I understand that. And in my time in ministry, I am amazed at some of the miracles that I have seen of people that have come out of crazy situations painful, illegal, shouldn't happen to anybody kind of stuff. And I'm amazed that, that they're still functioning and, and willing to engage with another human being. My story, I, I don't have those kind of pains in my, in my story, but yet in my own experience, I've had people that I have trusted betray me, right? But I need to be willing to go back and look at what did Adam do? What did Adam do to screw that up? What have I done or allowed in my life that is why I feel cold towards God right now? And I don't see him as active in my life. Did God change in that story in Genesis? No. And that's the one truth that we can hold on to is that intimacy between us and God 
if there's a gap, it's always going to be on me. Right? It's always going to be on me. But what happens is, well, let's say somebody close to us gets uh, a terminal illness and then they pass away. God, that's on you. You hurt me. I can't trust you. We might not ever say that out loud, and sometimes maybe we do. He's not afraid of those conversations, by the way. But he really didn't change, and yet we've stepped away from him. Or we've allowed sin to stay in our life. Stuff that we become aware of and we choose to keep like a little pet and say, this really isn't that big of a deal. But if you keep something in your life that you know God doesn't approve of, you are choosing to keep that space between you and him. Does that make sense? Because he can't, he can't just say, oh, that's not sin anymore just because I want to be closer to you. No, that's not how he deals with sin. How does God deal with that gap between us? I'll give you a hint. He did everything necessary to cover sin by eradicating it and by paying for the consequences for it so that we don't have to. So he actually did that for us. But what he can't do because of his holiness and what he won't do is say, ah, I, I changed my mind about that. That's no, you're good. I, I'd rather you be close to me. No, he loves us so much that he doesn't want those things in our life. What are you hiding behind? What are you blaming? Because if we are hiding behind something, if we are shifting the blame over here, then we will never take a step forward into a closer relationship with God and other people. If you're having a strain, if you're in the middle of a strained relationship with another person, like I said, if you've been alive more than five minutes, you do. How do you fix that? You can't make the other person be nice to you. I, I, I figured that out. You can't make another person love you. You can't make another person sorry. Has anybody else tried that? The lying sermon's coming, I'm telling you. I need more heads nodding when I'm asking you a, a yes question that I know is yes. Have you tried to make somebody else sorry to you? <laughs> Absolutely. It doesn't work because conviction comes into our hearts and that's that free will thing that, that God says you get to choose when to admit you're wrong. And he already knows that we are. But he gives us that privilege of it being ours. And so that when I am willing to look in the mirror and say, man, I screwed up. And when I go in that mindset, that humility to another person, whether it's my wife or a person I've, I've hurt at work or at church, I've done all of these by the way. Uh, when I go hat in hand and I say, I, I hurt you, I did this wrong, I am sorry, what change? There's power in that statement, right? That will on that will disarm people. That will disarm a situation. 
that will start to build building blocks back in that relationship because as soon as that person says, oh, and they still may not. I mean, if you're only doing it because you want them to say, oh, well, I was wrong too, if that's your only motivation, that doesn't always happen right away. But what it does is it sets the stage for it to happen because then it's like, oh man, I've got some responsibility in this too. All right, let's move forward. What can we do to overcome our fear of intimacy? Two things and we're gonna look at them backwards. The second thing we have to do is to take a relation, if, in order to get an intimate return, we have to make a relational risk. What do I mean by that? If you want to have more friends at work or have friends period at work, you better go say hi to somebody and ask them the name of the cute dog that's in the picture on your desk. Right? Well, nobody talks to me at work. Do you talk to anybody at work? Do you take a risk and, and put yourself out there and say, hey, do you want to get lunch today? Whatever else. You see what I'm saying? So we have to take that risk. And maybe it's in a deeper relationship. Maybe it's a marriage that's had been on hard times for a long time. And nobody's risking anything anymore. And the only way for that thing to ever have a chance again is for one person to say, I'm going to risk this again. Right? 1 Peter 1.22 says to love one another deeply from the heart. It is scarier to risk, but it is even scarier not to risk. 1 Corinthians 13.7 says this, love always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And so love always believes there's a chance. That's where that, that's that word hope. Always a chance. I, I'm going to believe that the Buckeye secondary are going to show up at some point in this season. And that we're not going to blame an injured Nick Bosa for not being able to just let people run all over us. Sorry for the football references, but I continue to have hope. And that means that there's always a chance. And if we will look at our relationships that way, that keeps us open towards the relationship. As soon as you don't believe there's a chance, you have closed up to the possibility of a future there. And then we know what happens when both people close up, right? That's a lot of, that's some of the people, some of your story in this room today. And I don't bring that up to hurt you again. I bring it up because God wants that to be something that is set free inside of us, that no matter what has happened in our past, that we would risk again. It's scary to risk, and I wanna say this other little thing here. Wisdom is a part of this. We are not supposed to expose our soul to every living person around us. That kind of goes back to the free hugs person from week one. There's, there's, no, there's no weight attached to what they're offering. So it's, I'm giving you my whole heart, but it, there's really no value there because I just throw it around to anybody that'll take it. Right? But then there's somebody that says, well, I'm so protective of this. It's so valuable that I'm not going to give it away to anybody. And God calls us to be in between in a healthy way that we would use wisdom. And God would say, this is a person you can share your heart with. Right? 
And hopefully that's the person that you marry. And hopefully, you know, those are the relationships that you can have with, with one or more of your parents or, or, or the, you know, and, and friendships and things like that. So Song of Solomon 8.4 says this, not to awaken love until the time is right. Wow. We can, we can allow too much of ourselves in certain relationships that it, it's not strong enough there for. Does that make sense? And so even certain people, I can remember growing up and, uh, and my parents would say something like, that person's, they're, they're a bad influence for you. you. You really shouldn't be close to that person. And, that, and of course, I knew they were wrong in the moment, right? That was another thing. Oh, gosh, thanks for pointing that out to me. I, I knew something was wrong. No. It takes that 10 years looking back and saying, oh, wow, that person was taking me this way. That person was hurting me. So I said we're going to work backwards. We need to take a risk relationally, but before we can take a risk, we must find security, acceptance, and intimacy in Christ. Because if we don't know what the real thing is, and if we don't have it, we can do a whole lot of damage with the people in our lives. Right? And I want to close with this scripture in Genesis 3.11. God looks at Adam and he says, who told you that you were naked? I didn't tell you that. What's that mean? It means that your father in heaven sees you for everything that he created you to be. And he never stops believing in what that can look like. He never disowns us. Now, we can build those barriers, and if sin, if sin is between you and God, you, you don't have a relationship. If, if, you, if you don't know him and he doesn't know you, then, that, then that's severed. But the beautiful thing about Christianity and why I've staked my life on it is because I believe God is always there saying, who told you? Who told you you're not mine? Who told you you can't be so close to me that you have to that you don't have to hide anything? Just like a baby with a with a, a parent, there's no there's no thought of oh my gosh you're 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 seeing me. No. But then what happens between us and God and between us and the people in our lives? We say. Don't look. I, I, no, I need you to stay over there and I need to stay over here. And so God would tell us today that intimacy begins and ends with him. And if you don't know him as your personal savior, if you are not connected to him in a personal way, he is ready and willing and desires that with you right now. And if that part of your life is cold or stale or broken or damaged or just hasn't been something you've been paying attention to, then don't be too surprised if 
you are also finding coldness and staleness and resistance in the people close to you. We were made to function out of a relationship with our Father God. We close in prayer this morning. Father God, I thank you for this word. God, I thank you for intimacy. God, I thank you that it's a design of heaven. And God, there are so many counterfeits out there. So many counterfeits where we would cheapen our value and cheapen your creation in the ways that we would seek fulfillment, God. But God, I thank you that behind it all, and for all of history, God, that you are up there waiting, waiting for us. And you would say, who told you? Who had told you? Who told you that you have to hide from me? Who told you that you have to put on masks? That you have to cover yourself with something to be in my presence? Who told you that? Who told you to run away? God didn't tell you that. But he would call you home today. If you've never said yes to a faith in Jesus Christ, if you've never trusted him with your heart and you're ready to today, would you raise your hand where you're at? I want to pray with you. It's making a faith decision to trust Jesus Christ with your heart. And you ask him to forgive you of whatever you've done that has put space between you and him. We call that sin. You're asking him to forgive you and then you're committing to follow him. If that's you this morning, I want you to raise your hand. I want to pray with you. Well, I think many of us, including myself, we pick up these scars and bruises, and maybe sometimes we don't even realize that we're being defensive and that we're keeping distance between us and others and us and God. If you see a gap today that's between you and people around you or between you and God today and you want to do something about it, would you raise your hand this morning? You see that gap? I see that hand. I see those hands. I see that hand. More importantly, God sees those hands. Those gaps are not from heaven. They are not what you were designed for. They are not God's best for your life. And he has a way of restoring those things. With him, it's about spending time with him. That's why we sing. That's why we worship. It's why we pray. It's why we learn his word. You can do that outside of Sundays, and you should. Those, those are ways where you intentionally build a relationship with him, just like you would spend time with a person. It may require an apology on your part. The quickest way to get back towards a healthy relationship between you and another person or you and God is to apologize for what you did wrong and then even harder is to trust God for the wrongs that others have done to you he doesn't want you to be held back by the sins of other people his grace is sufficient in your life to cover over anything somebody else has done to you or is doing to you or will do to you. That's why we have to base our intimacy and our faith in him first. We don't trust people, we trust God. 
And we trust God to carry us in our relationship to people that will fail us. Father God, I thank you for every heart in this room, God. As some of us have seen a gap here. And we're trusting you to meet that need. I thank you that you would touch us this morning. Amen. Just stay seated for a moment. On the night before Jesus went to the cross, Jesus was there with his closest followers. We called them the disciples. They were already an intimate bunch. But he said, we're about to go up a notch. You don't understand why I have to go to the cross, but I do. And in the future, I want you to break bread. And every time you do, it's to remember that my body is broken for you so that there does not have to be a space between us. It says that after they broke the bread and ate it, that he held up a cup of wine. We have grape juice today. And he said, this is my blood. Why would the Bible talk so much about blood? Well, God made those animal cloths, skins for Adam and Eve immediately after they realized that they had sinned. There was, there was a price to pay. There was a separation and Jesus went to the cross so that we don't have to spiritually die. We, we, we believe that our spirit is forever sealed in Jesus and in heaven. And he said, this is the blood of my body shed for the forgiveness of sins. And so we celebrate communion today. This is open uh, from Jesus to everyone who chooses to believe in him. And so this table is a reminder of the intimacy that Christ desires to have with us. You don't get any more intimate than to say, here is my body. Right? So Christ would be that open with us. And so it is a reminder of our intimate connection with him every time we take it. We've got a couple, uh, got some people ready to serve communion this morning. If you come forward, this station's ready over here. How we take communion here, we've got a couple different ways. You need to come forward. There's a piece of bread in the basket, and then you just simply dip uh, the tip of the bread into the uh, grape juice, and then you eat it right away. Or, uh, if you're more comfortable, there's uh, small cups inside that have grape juice already sealed in it with a very delicious wafer. <laughs> I'm being sarcastic, uh, but a little wafer uh, tucked into it. So if you're more comfortable with a wafer and, and drinking the juice separately, uh, that's why we do those two options. And so we're going to stand and worship with a closing song. That's another way we build intimacy with our Father in Heaven. And then just go out the uh, left side of, of, of well, the outside of your penis <laughs> and then go back through the middle. You guys will figure it out. I trust you. And Father God, we thank you for communion. God, we thank you that you would offer your body to us and that you would shed your blood for us. God, it is the ultimate picture of laying down your life so that you could have an intimate relationship with us. We thank you that we can celebrate it with you today. Amen. Please worship and come forward by your singing this morning.